Here's the big question we bring before you today on Growing Grace. Do you have anything stored in your garage? Got some alcohol under a rock somewhere? Got some pornography hidden somewhere? So when you go back to your sin, it'll be available. You know where to find it. Jesus said, take your bed with you. Shut all the doors. Burn the bridges. You're not going back. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place gotta dwell with man. Sick be healed, and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son. Selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said, let this world know me by your love. Last time on Grow in Grace, we saw Jesus heal a man who'd been crippled for many years. And as fantastic as that was, this wasn't all that he needed. In fact, something even more important had to be dealt with. And we'll see the great physician go to work on his spiritual condition today as our study of John takes us back to chapter 5. Join us at verse 3 as we return to Pastor Ed Ray. You know, there were many at the Pool of Bethesda that needed healing. So why did Jesus choose this man in particular? Here's Pastor Ed with a thought. Verse 3. There, in this, this section, in this area around the pools, lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. Many were there. How did Jesus pick the one to deal with? I believe he looked around, read everybody like a book, and said, I'm taking the guy that's been here the longest, who's the greatest sinner. Because that's who Jesus always looks for, the greatest sinner. That's why he looked for me that night, way back in 1972. He looked in a crowd of people and said, oh my goodness, that guy's here. I think I'll save him. And everyone will go, that's impossible. Why would you save him, Lord? Just so you'd say, well, I guess there's a chance for me if God would save that dude. Anybody can get in the kingdom. So all these people are there. The greatest sinner is there. That's why Jesus came. He has an appointment with the greatest sinner. For, for an angel went down at a certain time into the pool, stirred up the water, and whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease they had. Now, this is not saying that it always happened that way. It's saying this was the legend. This is what people believed. Now, if you have an NIV translation of the Bible, that verse is not in your NIV translation. And that's because the oldest Greek New Testament that we have that's complete, Codus Syrianicus from Sinai, the Mount Sinai, that one doesn't have this verse. Why did it leave it out? Because it's wrong. There are 15,000 Greek manuscripts of the New Testament. Every other one has this verse in it. Pastor, are you sure that those guys were wrong? Yeah, I am. Because in 176, a guy named Tacken wrote about it, an early church historian, and he wrote this verse down because he was reading from that original Greek New Testament. And in 200, Tertullian did the same thing. So they both had verses. How come in 420, when this other translation is done, they don't have it there? Because they're wrong. Are you sure, Pastor? 
Absolutely. And when we get to heaven, you'll find out how right I was about this. And I'll say, I told you so. I'm teasing, of course. This verse makes more sense when it's in there. If it's not in there, it doesn't make as much sense. Okay. That's the multitude. Now the man, five, a certain man was there, a specific man. And that's the reason Jesus is there. He was looking for this man. This man has an appointment with God, but he doesn't realize it. I suspect there's some people in this room right now or out on the radio or out on the internet right now that have an appointment with God this morning and they don't realize it yet. They're going to know very quickly. So God is looking for this man. And this man has an infirmity. It says the Greek word is anthesnia. Anthesnia is a word that we still use in medicine today. My anesthesia gravis is a person with a spinal cord injury. Interesting. The New Testament is a book of medicine. <laughs> it describes spinal cord injuries in the first century. This guy had one, 38 years. 38 years he's been unable to move. Now, that's a long time. In fact, the lifespan of a male in the first century was 42 to 45 years. So most of his life, he's been stuck with this pallet. He can't move. He's paralyzed. His muscles have atrophied. He's just skin and bone. He doesn't have any nerves left, barely any circulation. And so he's laying there. Now, from the conversation, it's clear that Jesus knew that he had been coming to this pool for a long time, as he knows everything about him. And he focuses on this guy. There's people all around. But he lasers in on this guy. And when Jesus saw him lying there, verse 6, he knew that he had already been in that condition for a long time. And he said to him, a strange question, do you want to be made well? Now, if you and I were standing there, we'd think, that's a really cruel thing to say to a handicapped person. Do you want to be made well? Well, everybody would want to be made well. It's like the question my dad used to ask me when I was a kid. Do you want a spanking? <laughs> and I wanted to say, well, thanks a lot, Dad. Maybe later. <laughs> but then I would have died, and I never made it to this age. Because <laughs> my dad was one of those. So do. You see, the question is, what's your desire? Not would you like or will you, but do you. The difference, you say, will you or would you would require an act of his will. That's not what Jesus is asking. He wants to know if he wants to be changed. Why would he not want to be changed? He's paralyzed for heaven's sakes. Because we get used to our little infirmities and they become part of our lives. Let me ask you that question. Do you want to be healed? What? We all have issues. <laughs> Every one of us. Do you want to be healed of that addiction? Well, I'm not really addicted. The doctor gave me a prescription. I've just been taking it for 13 years. 
Do you want to be healed of that alcoholism that you can't get rid of? Do you desire for Jesus to change you? Do you desire for him to change your relationship with your spouse? Do you desire for him to change your family relationships that are all messed up right now? That's what Jesus is asking. Well, you'd think, he said, well, of course. I'd love for you to heal my legs. That's not what he says. The sick man answered Jesus, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool and when the water is stirred and when I'm coming down, another one gets in front of me. I've tried. It's really not my fault. I really have tried to fix this. <laughs> Many people fall into that trap, that way of thinking, that fur-lined rut. But I've been doing this for a long time. After all I've been through, don't you know how long I've suffered with this? Don't mock me. Do I desire to be healed? Well, uh, of course I would. Except I got this spot here by the pool. My friends are all around me, and people bring me food. And uh, I really like it. It's cool because of the water. It's hot out there, away from the water. People get stuck in a rut. And God says, do you desire to be made well? <laughs> I was reading a book recently, two doctors, Mirnath and Myers, they have a clinic. And the book is really about depression and getting away from it. And, but this is what they say. The book's title is Happiness is a Choice. Great book, probably ought to read it. They said, we cringe whenever our Christian patients use the words, I can't or I've tried. We now know that I can't and I've tried are merely lame excuses. <laughs> well, that's kind of rude. We insist that our patients stop saying can't and say won't instead. They need to see that what they're really doing so that we make them face up to it by saying, I just won't get along with my wife. <laughs> my husband and I won't communicate. I won't discipline my children the way I should. I won't find time to pray. I won't stop gossiping. When they change their can'ts to won'ts, they stop avoiding the truth and start facing reality. We need to determine what we really desire in our lives. Do we desire to be free from our nasty little habit patterns of thinking? or physically. Years ago, Rayleigh and I sang at a, a large Christian gathering. I wasn't speaking. Somebody else was speaking. So we sang and we, we sat down. And this pastor came up and he talked about the subject. Do you desire to be made well? And he was really talking about forgiving people. You know, are you ready to forgive that person? And so he said, if you've tried to get rid of this in your life and you really want God to change you, to forgive, he said, I want you to stand up and tell me the name out loud of the person that you're having trouble forgiving. And this woman jumped up and she said, Mary and Sue. 
and my mother and my second grade teacher and Frank and George and she went down this list. And finally he gets off the podium, goes down, takes her into another room with another pastor and he came back and finished the service. And I asked him, I said, what, what happened? And she said, he said, well, she was like a drain pipe that was all backed up. <laughs> and as soon as she said the first name, then more than a hundred names came out of people that she wasn't going to forgive. Then all of a sudden she realized she needed to be set free from it. She was trapped. She was comfortable in her trap of unforgiveness. It was like a, a whole bunch of cards with people's names on it that she'd take out every once in a while and look at That's Pastor Ed Ray on Growing Grace. And we're in John chapter 5 today. Here's Pastor Ed with a second half of today's message. Jesus says to the man, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. It's not a suggestion. <laughs> it's not a casual observation by God. Jesus didn't say, oh, just hang in there. You know, the day will come, you can get to the water fast enough. You know, I'll stop by next week and maybe I can help you into the water. No, no, he's God. He said, rise, stand up. God never asks us to do something he doesn't give us the power to do. Amen. So Jesus gave him the power and this man accepted that. Stand up. And he tried. No, he did. Pick up your bed. Jesus, that's a cruel thing to say to a handicapped person, unless you're God. Well, it's going to take physical therapy, you know, months, maybe years of physical therapy to get those. I mean, his quads, look at, they're all deteriorating, they're all atrophied. There's no way he's going to stand. He's standing. Well, he's certainly not strong enough to pick up that bed. He just picked up the bed. And he walked away. Now, I don't think it means that he just casually walked. I think he's so excited. This guy does the Moldavian dance of joy. He skips down the street, blows his mind. The lame man was willing to obey, so now he can. He took up the bed. Why? Why did Jesus say, take up your bed? G. Campbell Morgan said, that man might have said to himself, well, I'm healed now. But I better leave my bed here just in case I have a relapse. I may need it tomorrow. <laughs> we leave our little packages, don't we? And I was talking to a guy not just a couple of weeks ago from the church. He's been here a long time. And he came to me and he said, I finally did it. I said, good, what? <laughs> and he said, I got the drugs out of my life. I said, that's awesome. How did you do that? He said, I flushed it down the toilet. And it was very expensive stuff. <laughs> I said, well... Praise God, you did that. Why did you flush it down the toilet? He said, because many times before I've tried to stop, but I kept my drugs hidden a little way in case I could change my mind, unless I had a bad day. I'd go find it in the garage. Do you have anything stored in your garage? Got some alcohol under a rock somewhere? Got some pornography hidden somewhere? So when you go back to your sin, it'll be available, you know where to find it. Jesus said, take your bed with you. Shut all the doors. Burn the bridges. You're not going back. And so the man did. Took up his bed, and he walked. No provision for relapse. Now, 
he didn't expect Jesus to carry him away from the pool. In fact, Jesus did, gave him the power to do it. But he had to put one foot in front of another. That's what God us, asks us to do. He also wants us, Galatians 5.16, I say then walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Just do it now. So, now you'd think everybody in the place would be cheering, hallelujah, praise God, look at that, God healed him, isn't that wonderful? No, they're not. They, the Jews, therefore, said to him, who is cured? It's the Sabbath. It's not lawful for you to carry your bed. This guy's been sick for 38 years, and the haters are there. <laughs> what are you doing? It's like the guy who came down from morning, his wife's there. She said, what do you want for breakfast? She said, like, like two eggs, one scrambled, and one fried. And so she did it and put it in front of him, and he went, oh. She said, what's wrong? He said, you scrambled the wrong one. <laughs> you never do a right around some people, okay? No matter what you do, it's wrong. They say, it's Sunday. No, it's actually Saturday. It's Sabbath. You can't do that. You see, the Jewish rabbis said you couldn't do anything physical on the Sabbath. You couldn't walk more than 2,000 cubits. Did you know you broke the Sabbath law when you walked from your car in here this morning? You sinners, you. When you turned the key on the ignition of your car, you started a fire. You broke the Sabbath. I have people that me, I keep the Ten Commandments. I said, no, you don't. <laughs> well, what do you mean I don't? Well, you walk. <laughs> do you wear false teeth? Well, yeah, those are too heavy to carry on the Sabbath. You can't do that according to the law. Ladies, you can't carry a purse. It's too heavy. Some of you have a bigger burden than others, but... <laughs> All these rules and regulations that reduce the relationship to God, no relationship, just rules. Why? Because it's easier to keep a bunch of rules than to have a relationship with God and talk to him every day and pray and ask him for his help. He wants relationship with us. It's not lawful for you to carry things on Sabbath. And he said, he who, he who made me well said, take up your bed and walk. What am I going to obey you guys or them? He's the one that said, walk, and I can. They asked him, who's the man who said that to you? We're taking names. <laughs> Take up your bed and walk. But the guy didn't know who Jesus was. There's no faith involved here. This wasn't a man who heard about Jesus and said, I'm going to trust him. If he says, walk, I will. <laughs> the creator of the universe said to him, rise. Take up your bed and walk. Jesus says that to a lot of people every day. Afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple. Why the temple? Well, you'd be in the temple too if you'd been stuck for 38 years sitting around, unable to move. He went to praise God and thank God. Jesus said to him, see, you have been made well. Sin no more. What? Sin no more, lest a works thing come upon you. Now, don't misunderstand. This scripture is not teaching that people are handicapped because they sin. In fact, when we get to John 9, 2, his disciples asked Jesus about a guy who was born blind. Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents? Jesus said, neither. Neither this man nor his parents sinned. But the works of God could be revealed in him. God allowed him to be blind, so I'd come by today and heal him. And you guys are going to go, oh my goodness. 
a blind man. The man departed, told the Jews that it was Jesus. I don't think the man meant to accuse Jesus. He was just speaking the truth. Therefore, did the Jews, now when John says Jews, he, he doesn't speak ethnically. He's talking about those religious leaders in Judah, okay? So he said the Jews persecuted Jesus, lamb, because he had done these things on the Sabbath day in a place called the house of mercy. <laughs> they didn't get it. Jesus answers their criticism with an astounding answer. Verse 17, my father has been working until now, and I have been working. God can't rest when there are people in need. Man's needs superseded the law. My father, Jesus' father, verse 18, therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him. You see, it's not legal to carry your bed on the Sabbath, but it's legal to kill the Messiah on the Sabbath because he had only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God, the whole point of this miracle. This man could not possibly walk after not being able to for 38 years. It is physically impossible to not have those muscles restored and those nerves and those capillaries and just everything that was deteriorated and atrophied in these man's legs. And Jesus said, rise, take up your bed and walk. Didn't touch him. Never got near him. That's impossible. <laughs> Unless you're God and you created the human body and you know absolutely everything about every single cell, all 92 trillion cells in your body. The creator was there, knew exactly what he needed to fix, and then it was done just because he chose to do it. Do you want, do you desire to be healed? That's Jesus' question to all of us. Do you want to change? Do you want, do you desire, do you seek change in your life? C.S. Lewis wrote a book called Mere Christianity, and in it, and we'll close with this, he wrote, every time you make a choice, you are turning the central part of you, the part of you that chooses, into something a little different from what it was before, and taking your life as a whole with all your innumerable choices, all your life long, you are slowly turning this central thing either into a heavenly creature or into a hellish creature. Either into a creature that is in harmony with God and with other creatures and with itself, or else into one that is in a state of war and hatred with God and with his fellow creatures and with itself. Or else into one that is in a state of war, hmm, to be the one kind of creature is heaven. That is, it is joy, peace, and knowledge, and power. To be the other means madness, horror, idiocy, rage, impotence, and eternal consequences. Each of us, at each moment, is progressing into one state or the other. You are changing. The question is, which direction? Will you change? 
Thanks for being with us for Grow in Grace. We're studying the Gospel of John right now with Pastor Ed Ray. And if you joined us late or you just want to hear this again, go online to thepackinghouse.org. We archive our programs there for you so you can listen anytime you'd like. Or call and ask for a CD copy at 844-77-GRACE. This program is made possible through the support of listeners just like you. We have an exciting resource to tell you about today. It's Why Grace Changes Everything by Chuck Smith. Grace is a word we love to hear, but many of us don't know what it really means. Sure, it's how God saves us, but it's also how we grow. Pastor Chuck Smith shares insights from his own life and reveals how grace changes everything in our lives when properly understood and applied. Just give us a call at 844-77-GRACE and we'll send this your way for a gift of any amount. That's 844-77-GRACE. We'd also like to hear what God is up to in your life. Is he using this program to help you grow in grace? We want to know. Our email address is packinghouseradio at aol.com. That's packinghouseradio at aol.com. That's all the time we have for today, but mark this spot in John's Gospel and join us next time as together we grow in grace with Pastor Ed Ray. This program is brought to you by the Packing House Christian Fellowship in Redlands, California. Zion, now filled with hands and in this place gotta dwell with man. Sick be healed and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son. Selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love and harmony. I said let this world know me by your